podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two footed podcast on Wednesday, the 25th of January. Hope you're all doing well. It's actually a nice day. The sun is out. It's not that warm, but the sun is out. There's no gray clouds today. There's no ducks floating past my back window. So I'm happy out. Hope you're all well. We had one game of football played in the EFL Cup last night. A game in which Newcastle beat Southampton 1-0 at St. Mary's. Jolington with the only goal of the game. Jolington also had a goal disallowed for handball. And he missed one of the sitters of the season. 
But he did get his goal on 73 minutes. Great work by Alexander Isak. Picks the ball up out on the right wing. Drops the shoulder to go one way. The defender buys it. He spins the other way and he just burns away from the defender. Great ball across to face the goal. And Jonathan has a simple tap in. Saints thought they'd equalised just a few minutes later through Armstrong. But it was a judge that he handled the ball in the act of scoring. So that one was ruled out. Dujan Coletta Carr was sent off for a second yellow card on 86 minutes for bringing down Alan Maxman. Probably for Southampton, it was a good thing because Maxman looked like he was about to score. If he'd gotten past Coletta Carr, he had a free shot on goal. But um, all things considered, Newcastle deserved to win. Defensively, Newcastle have been so impressive. I think that's 10 clean sheets in a row for um, Nick Pope. I think the only team that scored against them in their last 11 games is Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup, a game Pope didn't play in. So credit to Eddie Howe. He, he's done what I didn't think he was capable of, which is setting up a decent defense because he's never been good at that aspect of the game before. Now it is coming at a cost. Newcastle are not creating massive amounts of high quality chances going forward, though last night they did create two both for Jolington. Um, he's also made them quite snide and quite cynical. There's quite a bit of time wasting from the turn. Their ball and play numbers are among the lowest in the division, but they're winning games. So that is the only thing that matters. Now they do to me look a little bit like they're starting to run out of some steam because they have been playing largely the same group of players all season long. I'm surprised they haven't done something in this window thus far, but there are still six days left. So it is very possible that they'll get somebody in. Uh, I think they could do with a body in midfield and maybe another body at centre-back. I'd be looking for a a long-term starter to go next to Botman. Someone that you can transition in after Shar at the end of the season. Uh, Fabian Char is having a good season, but I, I think that's one upgradable position that they have in the middle of defence. Uh, Botman has been unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I think he's got to be right up there for the signing of the season. Um, but like I said it last week when I did my team of the half season, I think Gamerish is the, the player of the year so far. I thought last night he was excellent again. Willock and Longstaff both had good games. And they function so well as a unit, which is really impressive. Off the ball, they are as good as anybody in England right now. And that is that is a huge credit to Eddie Howe. That is something that his Bournemouth team were not good at. So Eddie Howe is very much winning me over uh, with the coaching performance he's put in at Newcastle over the last 14 months or however long he's been there since replacing uh, Steve Bruce and his enormous head. Um. We have a game in the EFL Cup tonight. Nottingham Forest at home to Manchester United in the first leg of their semi-final tie. Forest will be without Dean Henderson. He is cup tied. He's also injured, so he wouldn't have played anyway. United will go into this game as heavy favourites, and rightly so. Just have a quick check on the injuries, see who's in and who's out. Casemiro will obviously be back after serving his one-game suspension against Arsenal. Uh, Van de Beek out for the season Sancho 
I think Jaden Sancho might be struggling with his mental health. I think that might be just based on what Ten Hag has said. He hasn't explicitly highlighted anything, but he has made it seem more like it's a. He's he's been very clear that he's he's not playing because he's not ready to play, and he's not injured. So my guess is he's suffering a bit with his mental health. I do wonder if the weight of the transfer fee, the weight of expectation, the poor season he had last year, the up and down season he's had this year, I wonder if that's all just had uh, a really negative effect on a young man. Like Jaden Sancho is a very young man. He's only 22 years of age. And he is super talented. Super talented. But... United was the wrong club for him to join at the time. I do think Ten Hag can get more out of him, but then Ten Hag goes and he signs Anthony. And what does that that say to Sancho? Anthony one wing. Sancho's a better player than him, significantly better player than him. But Anthony is the manager signing. And Marcus Rashford's in immense form, and Rashford's playing off the left. Bruno's in really good form playing as the 10, so... I don't know, Sancho, it's just a it's a tough situation for him at the moment. Um, but he's not ready to play. Diogo Delo is not ready to play just yet. He's got a thigh injury. Mason Greenwood's obviously not going to play for a while. Uh, Anthony Martial, he has got an injury. He'll be out for a couple of weeks. And Axel Tunzevi is working his way back. So United are dealing with some issues. Forrest, Awani is out for a couple of months. Dean Henderson's out for probably the next month or so. Omar Richards is about three weeks away. Niakat is about two and a half, three weeks away. He'll be a big one for them to get back. Losing him the way they did at the start of the season was a hammer blow. Uh, Bian Coney's out with a torn ACL, so we'll probably see him next season. Um, it's a good one for Forrest to have coming back next season, though. It will be like the proverbial new signing. And he's a very talented defender. And then Czech Coyate, when he got hurt... In December at the World Cup, they said 10 to 12 weeks. So you could be looking at sort of late March, early April before we see him again. Um, As long as he's in and around the building, I think he can still have an impact. I think he was bought more for his leadership than his actual on-field ability at this point in his career. So I still think he can have a good impact there. You would pick United to win tonight. But... At home, Forrester in decent form. Morgan Gibbs-White is in excellent form. And Brennan Johnson, with that burning pace, I think could cause United's defence some trouble. We had one game last night in the FA Cup, and Accrington Stanley beat Boreham Wood 1-0 on 97 minutes, a Tommy Lee penalty giving Aki the win, and they go through. They will take on... God, I don't know. Leeds? I feel like it's Leeds. Yes, Leeds. So the the FA Cup draw is now set. Friday night is the biggest game of the weekend. It's City at home to Arsenal. And I think that game will have not just, obviously, cup implications, but I do think it could have a knock-on effect in the league. Because I think both teams will go full strength. 
I do think it could have a knock-on effect in the league. Remember, they have to play each other twice. Arsenal are five points clear and they have a game in hand. But City have started to look a bit more like City since the second half against Spurs. And that's an ominous sign for everybody. So that's Friday night. We have two early kickoffs on Saturday. Walsall, Leicester and Aki against Leeds. We have seven 3pm kickoffs on Saturday. Sheffield Wednesday against Fleetwood. Blackburn against Birmingham. Southampton against Blackpool. Ipswich against Burnley. Bristol against West Brom. Luton against Grimsby. And Fulham against Sunderland. We have a 6pm kickoff, which is Preston versus Spurs. An 8pm kickoff, which is Manchester United versus Reading. And then there are three games Sunday. Brighton against Liverpool at 1.30. Stoke against Stevenage at 2pm. Wrexham against Sheffield United at 4.30. I wonder how much the Ryan Reynolds, Rob McElhenney factor factored into the fact that this is the televised Sunday afternoon game. And then we have a Monday night game, which is Derby County versus West Ham. So that is what we have in the cup coming up this weekend. Thought we might take a quick run around Europe, see what everybody else has been doing. Uh, We'll start in Italy, where Napoli are beginning to run away with things. So uh, Verona beat Lecce 2-0. Salantana 0, Napoli 2. Di Lorenzo and Osimhen with the goals. Osimhen, he's unbelievably good. He is un- He might be. He might be my favorite number nine in the world right now. Fiorentina nil, Torino one. Uh, Alexei Moranchuk with the only goal of the game. Sampdoria nil, Udinese one. Monza one, Sassuolo one. Gianmarco Ferrer- Ferrari with the goal for Sassuolo. Caprari with the equaliser from Monza. Uh, Spezia nil, Roma 2. Tammy Abraham grabbing himself on the goal. El Shawari with the other for Roma. Juve 3, Atalanta 3. Adamola Luckman put Atalanta 1 up. Di Maria and Milik put Juve 2 1 up. Joachim Mal equalised to make it 2 2. Luckman put Atalanta. 3-2 ahead, and then Danilo got a equaliser on 65 minutes. 3-3, a fair draw. I think both teams are fairly happy. Luckman is doing really well this season. And I think there's going to be more and more English players heading for Syria when they see how Tammy Abraham, Chris Smalling, and, and Luckman are doing. He's got 11 goals in the league this season in 18 games. 13 and 19 in all competitions. It's a career best year for Luckman. It's his first season in the league. He's been a really talented, really promising player for a long, long time. When he broke through at Charlton, he really did look like he was going to be a very, very good player. And then the Everton move just didn't work. Largely because of Everton. And they loaned him to Leipzig and then he went to Leipzig permanently. Then he came back to Fulham on loan. He did quite well there, but they got relegated. So he went to Leicester and he did well there. But for some reason, they decided not to keep him. 
And Atalanta jumped in and grabbed him at 15 million euro. A really good price. He's 25 now, so he is in his peak years. But he's doing really, really well. And it is great to see him, Tammy, Smalling, and, and you know a couple of other younger players. as uh, a bunch of young Irish lads in Italy as well, which is, is really good to see. Some at Sassuolo, there's some at Udinese, there's a couple others, at least one at Inter Milan, Kevin Zeffi. He's one to keep an eye on. Really talented. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see more and more young English players. We've seen, obviously, young English players go to Germany. We saw it with Sancho, we saw it with Bellingham, and there's a few others that went over as well and did well. Reese Nelson went there on loan and did well. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if we start to see more and more young English players head for Serie A. Because I do think it's a league you can thrive in. If you've got if you've got decent pace and a good level of technique, I think you can do very well in Syria. So I'm delighted for Luckman. I, I think I've always liked him. I think he's he's finally found the right place for him. And I would guarantee Atalanta will make a significant profit whenever they move him on. Um Bologna won, Cremonese won. Former Spurs. Central defender Vlad Church is scoring an own goal in that one. Uh, Inter nil, Empoli won. Dreadful result for Inter. Schrinier sent off on 40. Baldanzi with the only goal of the game on 66. And then Lazio 4, Milan nil. Lazio were unbelievable in this game. Milinkovic Savage, Sikakny, Luis Alberto, formerly of Liverpool, and Felipe Anderson, formerly of West Ham from a Luis Alberto assist with the goals. Massive win for Lazio. But what it means is Napoli are 12 points clear. 50 points from 19 games, 12 clear of Milan, who are now one point clear of Lazio, Inter and Roma. Atalanta on 35 points. So you've got Napoli running away with the league. At this point, it would be it would take an incredible choke job for Napoli not to win the league. But you do have five teams then competing for the other three Champions League spots. It would be six, only Juventus had 15 points deducted. So they drop from where they would be, which is second, all the way down to 10th. The bottom of the league does not make pretty reading. If you are a Sampdoria fan, they sit second from bottom, nine points Eight points behind Sassuolo, who's hit 17th. That's really disappointing for Sassuolo, it should be pointed out. But they do have five-point gap to Verona in 18th, eight-point gap to Sampdoria in 19th, and nine points to Cremonese, who sit rock bottom. Monza have pulled themselves out of the mire. There's still time for Sampdoria, obviously. There's only 19 games played, so there is exactly half the season left. So they could turn things around, but it's not looking not looking likely at the moment. Um, what does look likely is that they will follow the path travelled by their city rivals Genoa last season and drop themselves into Serie B. Speaking of Genoa, they are third in Serie B. Uh, six points off top, but with three teams to come up, two to come up automatically in the playoff, uh, they have a chance. Their level on points with Regina, who sit in second. Uh, other notable teams there, Barry are fourth. 
Parma are 7th, Cagliari are 8th, Palermo are 11th, Ascoli 12th, Brescia 13th, Spal 14th, uh, Benevento 15th, Venezia down in 18th, which is horrible to see because they have the best jerseys in the world, and Perugia 19th. They are all teams that have played in Serie A in the last, I suppose, 20 years. Showing my age a little bit, but you all know I'm old and cantankerous, so that's fine. Uh, we will move now to France and have a gander at what's gone on over the weekend. Nothing went on over the weekend because they had cup games over the weekend, if I'm not mistaken. But the league table is as follows. PSG top, Lens in second, three points behind. Uh, they're at exactly the halfway point as well. And unlike the Premier League, Syria and uh, the French League, they've all played 19 games. None of this, some of 18, some of 19, some of 20. Nonsense. Everybody's played 19 games. Lens are second. Marseille third. Five points behind PSG. Monaco fourth. Rennes fifth. They're level on points, 37. Five behind behind Marseille. Uh, Lille are sixth. Laurent are seventh. And you have to feel bad for them. They had a really good start. It's... Fallen off a little bit. And the Bournemouth owner bought a piece of them and then stole one of their best players and is trying to steal their actual best player. So you'll have that. Uh, Leon are ninth. Nice are tenth. Both of those clubs will be really, really disappointed with that. Uh, Toulouse, 12th. Nantes, 13th. Montpellier, 15th. Ajeco, 18th. Auxerre, 19th. Angers, 20th. Angers looking fairly certain to head down into the second division there. Uh, but it's a it's a tight division of both from 18th to 14th. There's only three points separating those five teams. And even from Auxerre, who are 19th, to Troyes and 14th, there's only five points. So you have six teams there separated by five points. Two of them will go down, likely with Angers. And uh, it should make for an interesting second half of the season. The Bundesliga is back and was absolutely mental at the weekend because that's what the Bundesliga does. Um, Leipzig and Bayern drew 1-1. Halstenberg and Chupa Moting with the goals. Eintracht Frankfurt beat Schalke 3-0. Jesper Lindstrom scored a great goal. If you, if you haven't seen that one, go and find that goal on YouTube. It's very, very good. Uh, Bochum beat Hertha Berlin 3-1. Union Berlin beat Hoffenheim 3-1. Wolfsburg beat Freiburg 6-0. This was a shock. Uh, Wimmer, two for Jonas Wind, one for Gerhardt, one for Baku, and a Walshmith penalty in the last minute. Freiburg have been having a really good season, but that is an absolute whooping that they took. Um, my, Stuttgart won, Mines won. Cologne 7, Werder Bremen 1. This was painful watching. We won't bother spending any time on that one. Uh, Dortmund 4, Augsburg 3. This was a crazy game. Bellingham puts Dortmund 1 up. Arnie Meyer equalises because Schlotterbeck does a silly. Schlotterbeck scores to make it 2-1. Demerovic scores to make it 2-2. Jamie Bino-Gittens by no kittens, makes it 3 to young English player doing very, very well, super talented. Uh, David Kalina equalizes on 76. And so, sorry, by no scores on 75, 
Kalina scores on 76 and then Gio Reyna scores on 78 to make it 4-3 to Dortmund and they finally managed to hang on to a lead and win the game 4-3. And then Borussia Mönchengladbach 2, Bayer Leverkusen 3. Uh, Leverkusen were 3 up. Gladbach got two late goals and almost got back into it, but um, Xabi Alonso's team clung on. The next round of games started last night. Schalke won Leipzig 6. Timo Werner, Danny Olmo, both on the score sheet there. Uh, Bayern won, Cologne won. Bayern not looking particularly good at the moment. Uh, Elias Skiri scored on four minutes. And Kimmich scored in the very last minute. An absolute rocket of a goal. Do check that one out as well. Hoffenheim 2, Stuttgart 2. Kramerich with a last gasp goal to give Hoffenheim a point. Hertha 0, Wolfsburg 5. So Wolfsburg, between Saturday and yesterday, scored 11 goals in two games. Really impressive. And it's launched them up the table and massively improved their goal difference as well. They've gone from a goal difference of plus four to plus 15 in two games. They're now the joint third highest scorer in the league, um, despite having struggled for goals prior to the break. Bayern are top, four points clear of Leipzig, but they haven't looked good in the last two games. Eintracht sit third on 30 points. Union Berlin also on 30 points in fourth. So they're two points behind Leipzig. Freiburg also on 30 points, but trending in the wrong direction after that walloping. Wolfsburg have won five in a row. They are very much moving in the right direction. 29 points. Dortmund are on 28 points. Now, some teams have played 16, some have played 17, because this round of games is ongoing. If Dortmund win their game which is tonight, I believe. Yeah, they play Mines tonight. If they win that game, they can jump up to third. But if other results go against them, they might end up in sixth, even with a win. Uh, Gladbach are eighth. Leverkusen ninth. They've won four in a row. Cologne, Werder Bremen, we've lost three in a row. It's 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 starting to take a bad turn. The hope is there's enough points on the board and there's enough bad teams below them that they won't get dragged into the mess. Uh, Mines are 12th, Hoffenheim 13th, Stuttgart 14th, Bochum 15th, Augsburg 16th, Hertha Berlin 17th and Schalke 18th. Hertha Berlin and Schalke, two of the glamour clubs, two of the big marquee clubs in Germany, at the bottom two. And Stuttgart could go as well. Like, it could be Stuttgart, Hertha and Augsburg that go down. And they're all big, big clubs. So have Hertha Bremen, and they went down a couple of years ago. I mean, Hamburg are still down. Um, let's have a look, actually, the second Bundesliga and see what's, what's what in terms of the table. Darmstadt are top. Hamburg are second. Uh, Hanover 96, they're another club that belong in the top flight. Uh, they're in fifth. Is that Kaiserslautern? It is. Kaiserslautern are there as well. They're in fourth. Uh, Dusseldorf in, in seventh. 
Carl's Ruhr, who are only really famous for sending Sean Dundee to Liverpool. Uh, they're in 13th. St. Pauli in 15th. I always want to see them do well. Always want to see them do well. But at the moment, not doing so well. Uh, let's move to La Liga, where Barcelona continue to put forward a very impressive season. Uh, Mallorca won Celta Vigo 0. Rayo Vecano 0. Real Sociedad 2. Espanyol 1. Real Betis 1. Atletico Madrid 3. Valladolid 0. Diego Simeone will be outraged, outraged that his team scored three goals in 10 minutes. Morata, Griezmann and Hermoso. There's no need to score three goals if you're the opposition only score one. What you're doing there is you're using up valuable future goals. So you want to save them. Um, Sevilla won Cadiz nil. Massive win for Sevilla. Looked like it was going to be a very stale nil-nil. But Rakitic, with an 89-minute penalty, getting Sevilla three valuable points as they try and lift themselves out of the relegation battle. Uh, Villarreal won Girona nil. Danny Pereira with a penalty in the 100th minute of that one. Elche won Osasuna 1. Barcelona won Hatafe 0. Pedri with the only goal of the game there. Athletic Club de Bilbao 0. Real Madrid 2. Benzema and Tony Cruz. Uh, Real finding a little bit of form just in time to play Liverpool, so that's nice. And Valencia 2. Almeria 2. Justin Clivert on the scoreline there. Uh, Barcelona top Three points clear of Real Madrid. They've played the same number of games. Real Sociedad are third. They're three points behind Real, but they've played a game more. Atletico Madrid are fourth. They're seven points behind Sociedad. Villarreal are fifth, level on points with Atleti. Betis are sixth on 28 points. Osasuna, seventh, also 28 points. Bilbao... 8th, 26 points. Rayo Vallecano, 9th, also 26. Then Mallorca, Girona, Valencia, surprisingly poor, or unsurprisingly poor maybe. Espanyol, Almeria, Sevilla. That win lifted them from 19th to 15th. Things are very, very tight at the tail end of La Liga. Hetafe, Celta Vigo, Valladolid, all of 17 points. They run... 16th to 18th, Cadiz on 16 points in 19th, and Elche looking dead and buried. Zero wins from 18 games. Six points, looking absolute certainties to head for the Secunda division, which we'll also take a quick look at. Uh, The table has Ibar top. There's a great book called Ibar the Brave. If you can find it, give it a buy and give it a read. Las Palmas are second, Levante third, uh, Granada in seventh, Sporting Gijón in eleventh, Tenerife, Saragossa, I'd like to see them back up, uh, Malaga, they're 20th, Ibiza are bottom. Who did I read was on loan with them the other day? Ibiza FC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Matthias Bogos, the uh, the Polish midfielder from Leeds, is on loan at, at um, Ibiza. So I, I can't imagine that's 
a great environment to play football. And I imagine there's there's a couple of distractions if you play for that club. Um, we'll jump to Portugal then and we'll complete our tour of Europe, although we are going to touch on Scotland as well because Ange deserves it. Uh, Premier League... Top of the tree, we have Benfica, four points clear of Braga, who are a further point clear of Porto. We're seven points clear of Sporting, but Sporting have turned things around after a really bad start. Um, at the weekend, we had Arauco four, Porto Menens nil, Sporting two, Vicela one, Pedro Porro with a late, late winner there. Uh, Braga beat Pacos Ferreira 2-1. Uh, Simon Banza with a very late winner in that one. Benfica beat Santa Clara 3-0. Goncalo Guedes on the scoreline on his second debut for the club. Uh, Porto beat Vittoria 1-0. Jean Mario with the only goal of the game. Maritimo beat Estoral. Gil Valencia beat Casapia. Familiar and Rio Avi drew 0-0 and Boa Vista drew 1-1 with Chavez. Scottish Premiership. All you need to know about the Scottish Premiership is that Ange's mighty men are nine points clear with 11 games left. Nine points clear with 11 games left. 61 points from 21 games, 20 wins, one draw, one defeat. 69 goals scored, 17 conceded. And they're stunning to watch. Stunning to watch. Uh, Rangers are second, Hearts third, Livingston, Aberdeen, Hibernian. Must be tough to be a Hibernian fan. Your team are awful this season. So are Aberdeen. Aberdeen away from home are one of the worst teams I've ever seen. Uh, St. Mirren seventh, St. Johnston eighth, Motherwell ninth, Dundee United tenth, Kilmarnock eleventh, Ross County in 12th. Uh, we're going to check in on Wraith Rovers for a second. They play in the Scottish Championship, as you're probably aware. Uh, and the reason I want to check in on Wraith Rovers is because there's a young lad there called Ryan Nolan. He's not young anymore. He might be 23 or 24. Um, young Irish lad who took a gamble early in his career. Now, he was raised in Spain, but took a gamble early in his career and went to Inter Milan and was highly rated for a while and then sort of dropped off and he's bounced around a bit, but he's landed at Wraith this season. So, uh, just do keep an eye if you're of Irish uh, sympathies on how they do. They won 2-0 at the weekend. A good win for them over Linlithgow Rose in the Cup. Uh, but they're seventh in the Scottish Championship. Queen's Park are top, Air second, Dundee third, Partick Thistle, Greenock Morton, Inverness, Caledonian Thistle, the best name in football, Wraith, Cove Rangers, Arbroath, and Hamilton Academical are the teams in the Championship. So that's where we stand there. We might as well have a we'll have a break now, and when we come back, we're going to do some. Some bad football takes, because it's been a while since we had a look at those. See you in a sec.
Right, welcome back. So before we get to bad football takes, we do need to drop in on our friends in the blue side of Merseyside and have a quick little mention of Everton, who've had a particularly bad few days, obviously lost to West Ham, sacked Frank Lampard, were turned down by Bielsa, thought they had Arnaut Danjuma wrapped up, but managed to make a mess of that, and he's now signing for Spurs. Everton did a medical. Everton did interviews, pictures, a welcome video, and he's signing for Spurs. Um, He met the players. He met Calvert-Lewin, he met others, and uh, yeah, he's way off to Spurs. But Everton fans got a little hint A little hint of happiness when a report in The Guardian stated that Everton had been put up for sale with an asking price of £500 Now, it's not just £500 though, because to buy Everton, you'd have to pay £500 for the club, which is a little bit steep. Considering Newcastle went for about £300 and are a similarly sized club, But not only that, you take on the cost of the stadium, which the owner share looks like it's going to be around 500 million with the new overruns on costs. So there's a a billion straight away that you've got to pony up. And then you've got the cost of rebuilding the team. Let's just say you could do it for 250 million. There's 1.25 billion for potentially a championship club. So it was fairly clear that either a fool was going to buy the club or potentially someone really smart could see enormous potential in that club because there is great potential whatever. They are a big regional club. They're probably like historically, historically, I would say Liverpool, United, Arsenal, I would say Villa, Everton, and then Spurs would be the big six. Now, obviously, you factor in Chelsea, Manchester City, and now Newcastle with all their extra money. So I would say Everton are probably the ninth biggest club in England right now. But there is big potential there. They have a global name, not necessarily a global brand, but the name Everton is recognized around the world. And there is a possibility to grow the fan base. And there's that stadium coming. And they've always had a fairly good academy. And if if they could get a a Matthew Benham type owner or a Tony Bloom type owner, there would be huge potential in a club like Everton. But those type of gentlemen generally don't buy clubs that are in the situation that Everton are in where they've already committed to this new stadium. And it's vitally important that that new stadium gets built. This can't become a Valencia, where the new stadium sits for years and years and years. This can't become that. But Farhad Mashiri has come out and said the club is not for sale. He said he is looking for investors of real quality to bridge a gap on the stadium. Now, 
as we know, there was a shady link up between Mashiri and Uzmanov, formerly part owner of Arsenal, friends with Mashiri, who was helping fund the transfer spending. He was overpaying on a sponsorship deal for the training ground. He was going to overpay on a naming rights deal for the stadium. He was also going to help cover the costs of some of the stadium. And because of the war in Ukraine and the sanctions handed down, he has had to step away, similar to Roman Abramovich, except that he didn't actually own Everton Football Club. So it does feel like Everton are in a very crucial moment with Mashiri because he doesn't have the money to finish that stadium by himself. And he doesn't have the money to fix the team. But he doesn't want to sell. He's been there six years now. And he has spent a lot of money. Over the years, he's spent a lot of his money, a lot of a lot of Usmanov's money. But right now, Everton are as low as they've been in 50 years. This is awful. They're a bad team. Struggling, I would imagine, to attract a good manager. Name's been linked. Rooney is having a poor time at DC United. There's no real evidence he's a good manager. Duncan Ferguson, there's no evidence at all that he's even a manager. Sean Dyche. And Big Sam. Big Sam, who's been there before. And I saw a piece yesterday which highlighted that Sam would be of interest to Everton because of his track record at saving clubs who were in relegation mixes. So I thought, well, you know, when you hear things like that, you you kind of just nod and go along with it. And then I thought, well, hang on. The last time we saw Big Sam was two seasons ago at West Brom. He took over on the 16th of December, was in charge for 26 games, and they won four of them with eight draws and 14 defeats. And he resigned before he was sacked. Did so in a post-match interview. And he annoyed everybody while he was there. His previous job had been three years earlier when he was manager of Everton took over on the 30th of November, and he did keep them up. But did he keep them up? So, Sam took over after Ronald Koeman had been sacked and David Unsworth had served as caretaker manager for five full weeks. Sam took over on the 30th of November. Now, when Koeman was sacked... On the 23rd of October, Everton had played nine games and Everton sat in 18th position. But when Sam took over, Everton were 13th. They were not in the relegation zone. Now they finished the season eighth. And in his 26 games in charge, he did win 10 of them. Seven draws, nine defeats. But he also spent quite a bit of money in the January. He brought in 
Mangala on loan from City. I think they paid three million for the loan fee. They brought in Cenk Tusen and Theo Walcott. So you're looking at about fifty million in a spend there. Uh, he also loaned out Adam Ola Luckman and started the path of Luckman leaving Everton, which you know has also turned out to be a bad decision, one of many that Everton have made over the years. Andy let Aaron Lennon go, and Lennon would go on and do well for Burnley for a couple of years. But he spent fifty million. Uh, they got zero pounds back when Cheng Tuson left, when his contract expired, having scored eleven goals in sixty-one appearances. Sixty-one appearances. He was there five years. Sixty-one appearances, eleven goals. Theo Walcott also left for zero pounds. And Walcott was there three years, also scored 11 goals, played at least 85 games, which is fair enough. Um, And then joined Southampton on a free, despite having a year left on his contract. So he didn't keep them up. It's a myth that Sam Allardyce kept Everton up. So his last two rescue jobs, one he failed and the other one, they weren't actually going down anyway. Before that it was Sunderland. The 15-16 season. No, I'm wrong. It wasn't. It was Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace in 16-17. And I seem to remember he spent a bunch of money that January as well. So he takes over in December He's in charge of 24 games. They win nine, draw three, and lose 12. Now, he takes over on the 23rd of December. 23rd of December. So they played 17 games. They were 17th in the league when he took over. So they were in the relegation mix. They spent five weeks under Sam in the relegation spots and they ended up in 16th. Oh, they didn't. They ended up in 14th. Excuse me. They lost four of their last five. Ended up in 14th. So we'll give them some credit for that one. However, he did spend 10 million on Jeff Schlupp. 10 million on Patrick Van Aanholt, who, like Schlupp, also a left back. 11 million on Luka Milivojevic. And he brought in Mamadou Sacco on loan. I think they paid 4 million for the loan. So he spent about 35 million. Now, Schlupp has been a good servant. Van Aanholt was a good servant. Milivojevic was a good servant. These were much better buys than the garbage he brought to Everton. So I think we'll give him, we'll give him full credit for this year. They weren't in the relegation mix. He brought them into it more so than them being in it before he got there. But they were dreadful before he got there. Like, there's no no question. They were awful. Um, they'd lost 8 of 10 before he took over. So there's that. We'll give him that one. And then there's Sunderland. And I think this was the one that sort of got him most of the credit. So he took over, to be fair, he took over on the 9th of October. 
Nobody's in the relegation zone, relegation mix in the 9th of October. They'd had a really bad start, though. They were they were really struggling. They were 19th. Um, they finished the season in 17th. They won one, two, and drew one of the last three. They went on a six-game unbeaten run to end the season. Three wins, three draws, and that kept them up. They took 12 points from the last six games, and that's what kept them up at the at the expense of Newcastle. And because it was Newcastle that went down instead of them, I think he has to get full credit. But I would imagine he also spent some money. He brought in Jan, Ker- Jan Kirchhoff, Steve Harper, Lamina Kone, Wabi Kazri. These are good players, actually. Didn't do well for, didn't do well up there, though. Uh, Ibue arrived on a free, and uh, Dema Ndoy also arrived on loan. So he, he did spend quite a bit of money, but he kept them up. We will give him credit for that one. So, of his four, you know, relegation, I'm the savior type of fellow, type of jobs, um, he did keep up. He did keep up the rest. We'll quickly do some bad takes uh, and we'll we'll get wrapped up after that. Um, I think we did these in November. So I'll start at the start of December and we'll run from there. I remember doing that unbiased Arsenal Chelsea 11. Uh, 4th of December, J.J. Watt, NFL legend, future Hall of Famer, retired at the end of the season, just gone. 2-0, the most dangerous score in soccer. It's almost better that they scored. Positive spin, huge second half. Okay. Um, they do say that 2-0 is, is a very dangerous score, and Alex Ferguson used to always say that. Um, clinical Kai, an absolute clown. Kai Havertz and Kylian Mbappe's rivalry is going to be more fierce than that of Ronaldo versus Messi. <sighs> Piers Morgan, always the clown. I think Cristiano's the best ever. Maradona second, Messi third. Possibly fourth, actually, behind or nine. Uh, I would say Messi is second behind Maradona, but I- I'm I'm willing to accept Messi being top of your list if you want. Uh, Cristiano, for me, is is nowhere close. Uh, great goal scorer, all, all, up there, top top two goal scorer, maybe, um, but maybe not. But he's up; he's definitely up there as the, one of the greatest goal scorers ever. But certainly not one of the greatest players ever. He's he's been a great player, but he's not he's not in the Messi Maradona sphere. Um, this is great. Piers Morgan after the World Cup final. It wasn't a virus. The French team clearly got deliberately poisoned. The CR7 timeline, you can imagine this fella's just a, a complete pervert. The greatest there is, the greatest there was, the greatest there ever will be. One of the Cristiano perverts. They're very weird people. Um, there, There is just some mad stuff to get said. City report, Ben, also a clown. Uh, Haaland is so clear of Mbappe.
sports will never be as important as music or any other art. Everyone can run and kick balls. If you can write and produce songs, being creative and expressing yourself is something no other, no football player can do successfully and win awards for that. That's just bizarre. Um, United Maestro with two oars. Marcus Rashford's solo goal against Burnley is as good as that of Maradona's against England and Messi's solo goal. Jesus, what? He beat nobody, just ran in a straight line. Um, Lucas Mora, not the Lucas Mora, names his four best players. C or seven, Mbappe, Messi and Pele. Amazing to watch Messi win the scripted World Cup on penalties, but Ronaldo and Portugal won the Euros, which is typically a more difficult tournament to win. That's nonsense. And he was off the pitch, which is why they won the game. United Trey. Always a clown. Always a clown. Been seeing Liverpool fans talking big about getting our boy Gakpo. They think they're in in the race. United Ellis, also a clown, replies Rashford, Gakpo, Anthony, what is Ten Hag cooking? To which Trey replies, cooking titles. Yeah. Gakpo now plays for Liverpool, and Anthony is fairly average. Uh, Youngen played dirty Darwin Nunes, young Thierry Henry. I wish, but no. Discounting Foden, Mason Mount is England's best talent since Rooney. No. I really like Mason Mount, but no. Liverpool assistant manager, Pepin Linders. Harvey Elliott reminds me of Andreas and he asked that Pepin Linders needs to just hush. Just hush for a while. Tom Garrett. Oh, this guy's a clown. Casemiro to United makes zero sense to me, but he'll sell a few shirts, I suppose. I mean, I still don't like the deal all that much, but he has done well this season. I still think they overpaid for him. Uh, I still think it's a short-term move when they need to be building long-term, but that Tom Garrett fellow is just dreadful. Uh, John Mike Sav 8. Is Rashford on par with Mbappe right now? I think so. I think you're deluded. CFC mod. Make no mistake, Koulibaly isn't Rudiger's replacement. He's Rudiger's upgrade. Koulibaly is better than Rudiger. Rudiger was massively overrated at Chelsea. He had one good season with a heavy back three tax and is now getting exposed regularly in La Liga. Now, admittedly, Koulibaly has been really poor. But a big part of that is what's around him. Uh, EBL217, Gakpo will be an instant hit. Most top players don't take time to adapt. He's had four games. I don't know if that's a bad take, but that chap is a clown. Uh, I saw this. Uh, United Robbo, the Solshire Six, Ethan Laird, Jimmy Garner, Dylan Levet, Angel Gomes, Tahit Chong, and Mason Greenwood. The future is bright at United. Laird is on loan, I want to say at QPR, but that might be wrong. Ethan Laird. Yeah, he's on loan at QPR. Uh, James Garner was sold. He's gone to Everton. Uh Dylan Levet, what I've seen of him, he looks a talented player. A uh, young Welsh kid. Currently alone with Dundee United. 
No, he's gone to Dundee United permanently. I didn't realise that was a permanent move. Yeah. It looks like it was on a free as well. Um, Angel Gomes, he went to Lille. I'm not sure where he is now, but I can assure you that he hasn't had the career he was expected to have. Uh, he is still at Lille. He's playing fairly regularly. He's played 20 times this season, three goals. Had a decent loan at Boa Vista a couple of seasons ago, but he's too small. The issue with him is he's too small. He's 5'5", five, five and he's really lightweight. So that's what happened with him. Tate Chong, uh, he's had a couple of loans in the championship and not exactly set the world on fire. He was another one that was very, very highly rated. Uh, he joined Birmingham on a permanent deal in the summer. And Mason Greenwood is uh, potentially going to prison. So, uh, yeah, that was Solskjaer 6. Uh, this is great. Aston Villa Bible at Aston Bible. Akanji for 30 million. Coutinho for 40 million. Pogba for free. Phillips for 50. Isak for 50. And Rafinha for, 50, for 45. That's 215 million. And we barely touched the Grealish money last summer. And he's lined that team up as if that's a team that could go and do anything. They, they, this is great. I, I don't mind the defence. Martinez, Cash, Conza, Kanji, Dinya. It's not great, but it's all right. <laughs> Calvin Phillips and Pogba, as if they were going to get either of them. Um, Emi Buendia as a 10. Coutinho left wing, Rafinha right wing, and this sack up front. Oh, the delusions. The delusions are wonderful. Let's do the gossip and be done. Arsenal could rival Chelsea for Moises Caicedo in the summer. Unlikely. The Seagulls have put a 100 million price tag on the Ecuadorian player. That might just be the Chelsea price tag. France forward Kylian Mbappe is set to tell Paris Saint-Germain to make a move for Bernardo Silva in the summer. They played together at Monaco and are apparently quite good friends. Everton will continue talks with Marcelo Bielsa about becoming the new manager, but will also consider appointing Big Sam. Former Leeds boss Bielsa is unsure about taking the job. While Carlos Corbron is another option, he should stay miles away from it. Stay at West Brom. Things are going well. Uh, Bielsa told Everton the squad is too slow. Lampard is desperate to prove himself and is considering a move abroad for a fresh, for a fresh start and reset. Move down the divisions, Frank. Do yourself a favour. Leeds winger Jack Harrison is a target for Leicester. I don't think Leicester could afford him. Villarreal and Senegal forward Nicholas Jackson will have a medical at Bournemouth on Wednesday before a £20 million move. He's a very good player. and Him and Otara are really good players, but they're not what they needed. They need this sort of defence. But they will be fun. The Cherries are in talks about signing Matthias Vigne. So they're going to play him left back, maybe left wing back. They're still going to have a mess on the right side of the defence, no matter what they do. Southampton would like to sign Kaylor Navas. I think that would be very clever. Uh, Thiago Silva new contract talks are ongoing between Leeds and Juventus over a move for Weston McKenney. I, I think that would be a very good move for all parties Arsenal have also made an inquiry about McKenney's availability he doesn't really suit how Arsenal play in my view he doesn't suit how Arsenal play I think he needs a double pivot and Arsenal that midfield doesn't work like that uh, the Gunners are in pole position to sign Real Valladolid's 18 year old fullback Ivan Fresnida it's Football Insider. It's garbage. Uh, Dortmund are apparently the favourites. Spurs are willing to let Jed Spence leave on loan. Someone smart will take him and play him and he'll do really well. 
West Ham United have made a loan move for Santos and Brazil forward Marcus Leonardo after injuries to Danny Ings and Gianluca Scamacca. He's very talented. Patrick Vieira is becoming increasingly frustrated by the club's lack of activity in the January transfer window with the Eagles yet to add to their squad. I would be frustrated if I was him as well. Bristol City's 29-year-old English goalkeeper Daniel Bentley is set to undergo a medical at Wolves. Daniel Bentley's not a bad goalkeeper. Not a bad goalkeeper at all. He was first choice at Bristol last year. I don't know if he has been this season. Uh, Statistics. No, it does look like he has... Looks like he's lost his place to Max O'Leary. So that makes sense. And yeah, as Guy points out, Wolves backup Sarkic is going out on loan. So I suppose it's a move that makes sense. Bentley's not a bad goalkeeper, though. Not a bad goalkeeper at all. Uh, that'll do for today, folks. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Podcast Network.